invite you to turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 6, where we continue in this sermon that Jesus is giving there on the plane, as he is not plain as in flying, those weren't built yet, but plain, P-L-A-I-N, the level place. And he's giving this sermon there, laying out the ethic that his new covenant kingdom will be built upon. The manner in which not only reveals those who truly are kingdom citizens, but how these kingdom citizens ought to live. Before getting into the ought and how they are to live, he begins with these four blessings or beatitudes followed up with four corresponding woes. And the reality of these, what these four beatitudes really are expressing is not so much just about whether or not you are in the kingdom, but ultimately whether or not the kingdom is in you. It's one thing to think you are in the church or to come and gather and do all of these things. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, Jesus says, For there were many on that day who will come to me and say, But Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your names and heal? And they'll say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. So they thought they were in the kingdom. They, they saw things that, that looked outwardly as if they were, in ex, they were expressions of the kingdom of God. But the problem with those people, it was all about what they did as opposed to whom they knew. And these realities here that Jesus gets at, especially in Luke's account, is that don't, don't look to that which is seen. Don't look to external circumstances as that which defines your covenant inclusion. Look to whom you know and to whom you treasure and to whom you are satisfied by and to whom gives you joy and to whom you find your assurance and look for praise from. These are the expressions of to whether or not you truly are in the kingdom. Not to what your external circumstances look like. But what is the heart cry inside of you? What do you long for more than anything else in the world? And if it's Him, yours is the kingdom of God. You will be satisfied. You will rejoice. You have reward in heaven. These are are eschatological beatitudes. That is to say, they are beatitudes of hope, looking forward to what will be, not just what is. Christ is is teaching these disciples from the outset that your life is going to be marked by several difficulties following me. The world will hate you. Why? Because it hated me first. That was indeed the case For the first two to three centuries of the church. And for the it is the case for many of our brothers and sisters in the world today. The world hates them precisely because they love and live for Christ. And in the midst of all of that suffering and affliction and pain they experience, the words they need to hear most from their Savior is not, well, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Not just put on a fake facade. No, they need to hear these words. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. 
These are beatitudes of hope that this is not all there is. Do not look to that which is present and and momentary. Look to that which is eternal. That's the call of these beatitudes. Last week, blessed are the poor. And what we saw in that was that those were a question of what do you treasure most? And the answer must be the riches of God found in and through the person of Christ. If that is what you find is your treasure, you will be satisfied. Yours is the kingdom of God. This week, it's less about what do you treasure, more about where do you find satisfaction. So with that, look to me at Luke chapter 6, verse 21, first part of 21 and first part of 25. Stand with me for the reading of the word this morning. Jesus continues, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Verse 25, the corresponding woe. But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. If you were here six years ago, give or take, when I was called to be the pastor of Hillside, the first book that we went through, verse by verse, which is my favorite book, it was Philippians, if you remember that. And the youth group is about to go through Philippians, so I find this very fitting. Philippians, written by the Apostle Paul, is a book all about complete satisfaction in Christ. It's what the book's about. It's full of verses like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel of Christ. That he says, I count everything as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. That you are to rejoice again, I say rejoice. To to be anxious over nothing, but to give all things in prayer and supplication to God. And you will be given a peace which is beyond all comprehension in Christ. That I have learned the path to contentment. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. It is a book of utter and complete satisfaction in Christ. Yet it was written by a man who's on house arrest. Chained to a Roman guard for 24 hours a day. Not sure whether or not he's going to get the call today. You're going to go get beheaded. Which eventually would be the call of the Apostle Paul. A guy who says, listen, I'd rather go, honestly, 
But if I'm here to stay, it's going to be for your good. A man who is talking about rejoicing and counting it all lost while he's literally on arrest for the sake of Christ. And yet he says rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because Paul was completely satisfied in Jesus. I have all I need in him. The next book we preached through was quite a challenge. It was Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, the opening words of the preacher. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Hevel means empty. It's like smoke. A vapor here and gone cannot satisfy. It is illusory. It looks fulfilling. It looks substantive. But once you dive in, you realize it's not there. Like a mirage. It's empty. Nothing. No substance at all. Hevel is empty. And he goes through wealth. It's empty. Education, knowledge, empty. Fun, joy, satisfaction in this life. Sex, pleasure, empty. It's all empty, he says. It's all hevel. And that book was written on a king's throne. By a man, Solomon, who's the richest man who's ever lived. The wisest on earth who's ever lived. And yet his closing words was it's all empty without what? Without God. So Philippians written in a, in a home prison chained to a guard waiting a death sentence is all about joy because it's written by a person who has complete satisfaction in Christ. Ecclesiastes It's all empty. There's of no gain. Because it's a book about the complete emptiness that comes without God in Christ. What a difference God makes. There was a reason why those two books were so important to me out the beginning. Was it because I was just trying to give myself a challenge with Ecclesiastes? It's because my central reason for being as a minister is to make very clear to every soul who is ever put before me, you will never be satisfied apart from Jesus. It is all empty apart from Him. That's the only message I hope I get across in this life. If you leave here and go, I don't think Blake's a very practical teacher. I don't get a lot of application. You've hit it. You're right. I'm not. But your practical application isn't what gets you to glory. It's your satisfaction in Christ. And if you're satisfied in Christ, you'll live for Him. You'll give all that you have to Him. You'll count everything else as loss. You'll surrender all that you have for Him because He's all that you want. You see, the contrast between Paul and Solomon 
is precisely the basis behind Jesus' words today in this blessing and woe. Blessing are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. But woe unto you who are full now. That word full simply means satisfied. Woe to you who are satisfied now, because you will be hungry. One recognizes they are completely and totally empty without the provision and care of God. And they long for and are satisfied with only that which God can ultimately provide them. While the other is completely satisfied with the things of this world. I'm okay, I'm good. And there's an important thing that we need to get out from the the beginning here. There is a difference between contentment and satisfaction. Contentment says, I have all that I need. I'm content. I have all that I need. Satisfaction says, I have all that I want. I have all that I want. So when this person says, woe to you who are full now, satisfied now, this is a person whose heart says, I've got all I want. There's nothing else I long for. And if you've got that now, God help you. This is the close to heaven you'll ever get. If you've got all you want right now, outside of Jesus. These are those who Paul would write about in Philippians who says that their belly is their God. In other words, they live to feel and satisfy self. But I want to make the argument today I am not calling you to be an ascetic, which is simply a person who withholds from themselves satisfaction. I believe that's wicked. I'm not calling you today to withhold or deprive yourself from satisfaction. I'm telling you to put it in the right thing. God created you to delight. He created you to be satisfied To yearn and hunger for goodness and sweetness and joy and delicacy. So long as you found it first in Him. So long as you found it first in Him. And then everything else will taste sweeter. And not rob you. That's the essence that we want to go to today. It's not about just knowing that you need God. Contentment. It's wanting God. Satisfaction. And if you want Him and yearn for Him and hunger for Him, you will be satisfied. You'll be satisfied. When Jesus says, blessed are you who are hungry now. Once again, like last week, He is referring to both. This is physical and spiritual. But those things ought not to be seen as Just this mass dichotomy. So often, we've kind of taken and adopted some Greek philosophy uh, known as dualism, which separates the material from the spiritual completely. Right? Material bad, spiritual good. That is not biblical Christianity. Biblical philosophy. God created matter and called it good. So, So there's... 
Like this stuff we feel and taste and smell and eat. There's a reason for it. The problem is, is when that taste and feel and touch and experience becomes an end in and of itself rather than a means to rejoice in the one who gave it. Hunger, physical hunger, is actually a spiritual pointer. St. John of the Cross said this, quote, Hunger is the handmaid of the Lord, leading the soul to seek her highest good. End quote. No matter how much you eat today, you may have a stomach ache tomorrow, but eventually... You're going to have to eat again. Eventually, this stomach is going to growl again, begging for sustenance. And it's the reality that no matter how much I feel myself in the present, tomorrow I'm going to be empty again. No matter how much I give myself in this world to taste and spill and give it all, I'm still going to be empty eventually. I'm going to need to fill up again and I'll have to keep doing it over and over and over again. No amount of food or water or stuff or things that we give to ourselves for satisfaction will ultimately last. Physical hunger and thirst are the greatest expressions of that. No matter how much I come to this table, I'll have to keep coming back. Or I will die. It'll never be enough to satisfy me once and for all. It's a great story of this in the Gospel according to John. John chapter 4, verse 10 through 15 we know the story of the woman in the well. Jesus has come to the well there and He has come specifically to engage this Samaritan woman. Now we're not going to get into all the context there, but need to say this is not normal. Samaritans and Jews were against each other. Samaritans seen as half-breeds. Remember, Christ's kingdom is inclusive in that it is to gather all the nations into it. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented in the kingdom. So he's coming to bring the kingdom into Samaria. But notice how Jesus uses the reality of physical thirst to point to a spiritual one. John chapter 4, verse 10 to 15. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You've got nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. 
to Jesus is doing here is taking the realities of physical thirst and pointing to the reality that He alone is the water that can satisfy forever. This woman, she's still confused at the beginning. What do you mean? You don't got anything to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do I get this living water? It's a question that a lot of people are saying today. With all these books and philosophies and religions, the well is deep. Where do I get this living water? And I love what Jesus says. This well is not what I'm talking about. If you keep drinking from this well, guess what? You'll have to come back tomorrow. And you'll have to come back the next day. And the next day. And the next day. But everyone who drinks of me will have within them springs of eternal life. Once you drink of me, it is a never-ending flow of satisfaction that no matter where you go, the water's in you. That's why Jesus at the very beginning said, woman, if you knew who was talking to you, you would give, drink the water that I give. What's Jesus saying there? This well that you're going to have to come back tomorrow is still going to be here. But I won't be. My friends, Christ today is offering you living water. Right now, He offers you the water. And He says, drink of me. For all those things that you keep filling yourself in this world, you'll keep going back to it. But if you drink of me, you'll be satisfied forever. Don't miss the opportunity to drink while it is being offered to you. Drink of Christ and you will have eternal springs of life within you. Your thirst and your hunger exist as reminder that you've been separated from the eternal source of life itself. Think of this. There was always constant, perpetual provision in Eden. It's always there. Everything here is yours. The work that Adam and Eve did was not in growing. It was in harvesting. Receive that which is being produced for you. And it's always there. It's always perpetually produced for your plucking to partake of. But that wasn't enough, was it? They sought satisfaction in that which was pointing them away from what God was giving. I did not give this for you to eat. But they ate. And in their desire for more outside of what God gave, it left them empty, not full. Where our hunger and thirst is revealed most is found in our soul, not in our belly. Souls which are constantly yearning for more, but can never find enough. And the problem with hunger is that it never goes away until it's satisfied. The great anguish of the world today is that it is full of souls that choose to satisfy themselves with things that can't do the job. 
And time and time again, society is left hollow, jaded, and burned. Wondering why it's never enough. It's never enough. I can't be satisfied. It's never enough. This quote was written by Mark Edmondson. He was a professor of English. Pretty renowned one. He wrote a article called The Metaphysics of a Hangover. Very poetic article. And it's a nihilistic, a meaningless, an article that, that promotes the meaninglessness of life. It's in many ways, it's a modern Ecclesiastes. And this is what he wrote, quote, I can't be satisfied. There's not enough liquor in the world for me and not enough love. Surely there's not enough sex or whatever else there might be that Stoke's spirit is in too short supply. And if there were more, and I'm talking much more, it still wouldn't be enough because I'm hungry all the time. End quote. Hungry all the time. That's the world. Yearning and hoping to finally be satisfied in something, but it's never enough. It's the next journey, the next trip, the next adventure, the next taste, the next height, the next adrenaline rush. It's always something more because it's never enough. No satisfaction. Where does the hunger and thirst of the soul come from? Why does this inconsolable longing exist universal to mankind? Solomon actually says why. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Solomon writes this, He that is God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that He cannot Find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What Solomon is writing about there is this fact that God specifically created you in a way that nothing in this life could be the means of your satisfaction. That's actually a tender mercy of the Lord. To create an inconsolable longing in your heart for stuff that's been created. You were made and created with eternity in your heart. And only that which is truly eternal can satisfy it. So created things can't do it. That's a blessing of God. To put within His own creation... That the stuff he creates won't be the stuff that can actually bring us lasting satisfaction. Only he can do it. God created us with a longing that through that longing we might find him. It's precisely why Paul would say at the Areopagus, right? Like God created all of mankind and he's not far from you. What does it mean by that? 
that everything that these philosophers who've stood on Athenian ground and who've stood at this, this Acropolis and, and to stand there to, to teach their philosophies and their yearning and hunger for, for what is meaning and what is purpose and what is value, all of it has been put into men to say, find God. And until you find Him, you won't be satisfied. To know God is to know Christ. No matter how much we obtain of the substances in this world, the truth is your soul will always long for more. It'll never be enough. Your wife won't be enough. Your kids won't be enough. The promotions won't be enough. The good food won't be enough. The big bellies won't be, won't be enough. The desserts won't be enough. The vacations won't be enough. There will always be more. And if satisfaction for you is stowing it away in retirement, to just go off and hide away from the world, put your feet up and no longer work for the Lord, you've shown what your God is. It's your belly. It's not against retirement or anything like that. It's to say, what is, what is, where have you found satisfaction? You weren't made to be satisfied with the substances of the world. You are made to be solely satisfied in the creator of it. God created everything here so that you would look to him for satisfaction. All the gifts that he gives us to enjoy were meant to further our satisfaction, not in things, but in him. Every pleasure He gave you is not so that you would find pleasure in that as an end, but as a means to being satisfied in the One who gave it. This is the supreme meaning behind Jesus' words that if you hunger for the Lord, you will be filled. If you've come to the complete recognition that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy you apart from Him, then you will be satisfied. Because you will finally have that which is eternal in you. And the great condemnation of men in Jesus' woe is that far too many people keep looking for satisfaction in this world and fill their bellies with it. And woe to them who find their satisfaction here. The problem here, the problem with humanity is not that it is too hard to satisfy us. It's that we're too easily satisfied. We're too easily satisfied with cheap substitutes. We're too easily satisfied with things not meant to give us that satisfaction, but to point us to the ultimate source of it. We're too easily satisfied with cheap things. That is the heart between these two great prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah in Isaiah 55 verse 2. He says this, Why do you spend your money for bread, for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? 
We're going to see what this is a part of. It's a part of a great invitation. But God is saying to Isaiah, who is speaking against Judah and it's wicked, why do you keep going after things that can't fill you? And time and time again, they've shown themselves not to be able to. Why do you neglect me, the source of all satisfaction, to buy things which can do nothing for your soul? Jeremiah gets at the heart of this as well in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. Be appalled. This is God speaking. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Let's hear what they are. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's number one. And hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So, Judah's been doing a lot of bad stuff. But what is the two evils, God says? They have forsaken me, the true source of living water. The true source of satisfaction. And hewed out, literally carved out for themselves. This is the idols. Broken cisterns. These are pots. Broken. That cannot hold water. In other words, every time they fill it up, they get to where they're going and it's empty. You remember as a kid when you would go to the beach? This is Alaska. I know it's tough. But in Florida, you'd go to the beach and you'd like fill your hands up with water and run. And every time you'd get to your parents, there wasn't any water left. And you couldn't figure out that as much as you thought this was tight, it's not very tight. And the water seeps through it. And every time you come to bring water, it's empty. This is precisely what you keep doing when you go to the world to find satisfaction. You keep drinking from broken cisterns that man has hewed out. Oh, if we just have enough satisfaction, if we just have enough technology, if we just get to Mars, we'll finally get everything that we need for humanity. And it's a broken cistern. It's an idol that will not give you satisfaction. We have forsaken the true source of satisfaction and hewed out out for ourselves, carved out for ourselves, that which can hold no lasting water. And we wonder why we're empty. We wonder why we constantly need to steal, rob, and kill from each other in the world. It's because we're trying to think that if we just get that next village, the next city, the next country, we'll finally be satisfied. And it's never enough. They tried to appease Hitler with the Sudetenland. We'll give it to him. He'll stop, right? No. But we think Hitler's such a bad person. He was. But he was just a reflection of depravity that exists in every one of us. Sin that exists in every one of us. That's constantly trying to go get that which is not ours to have, thinking that if we get it, we'll be satisfied. Wrong. You'll be more empty than you were before. And the hardening of your heart will lead you to keep going and grabbing and hewing out more of these broken cisterns, collecting broken pots that never do anything but leave you empty. Is that you this morning? Continually going to the broken cisterns of this world, eating bread that cannot satisfy you and wonder why you are always empty. Why am I? Why is it never enough? Why is this promotion never enough? Why isn't the compliments of my wife never enough? Why isn't the service of my husband never enough? Why do I always need more? Why is it I'm never satisfied? It's because you're going to broken cisterns. 
The problem is not that you can't be satisfied. The problem is you're going to the wrong source to fill up. You're going to the whales of this world like this woman, wondering why you've got to keep coming back. And Christ says, come to me. You'll be satisfied forever. And these whales will no longer be sources of satisfaction. They'll just be sources of provision that I've given you. Sources of enjoyment that I've given you. Everything, when we go to this world, will turn to ashes in your hands. The thrill of lust looking at things will only leave the sediment of guilt and loneliness in your life. The drugs and alcohol can't keep you from waking up in the real world again to your messed up condition. The relationships that you bound in and out won't make you feel any better about the self-hatred that you have. The new toys you keep buying for yourself thinking you'll finally be satisfied. The new hobbies you keep picking up will not do it. Men, the answers to your midlife crisis is not new stuff and things like that. It's satisfaction in Jesus. I'm not saying you can't get new stuff and have fun. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't let it be the means that thinks you're going to feel better about yourself. Because it won't do it. It won't do it you're not satisfied in Christ. Like a spiritual hangover, the delights of the day only leave with pain and emptiness the following. It turns the psalmist on its head by taking our joy for a night and bringing weeping in the morning. And the words of C.S. Lewis ring louder than ever. Lewis writes, quote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. End quote. And that's it. There's a reason that this fallen world won't satisfy you. It's because you were made for something else. You were made for eternity. That's why death doesn't sit well with anyone. Death is not the product of millions of years of evolution that we've just got like, thank God, these people were not fit anymore. No one says that at the funeral. No one feels that. Yep, they just weren't fit anymore. Time to go. Make, better, make more room for the best of us. No one says that when it's their grandma, their mother, their sister, their child. They may say that in a classroom. But they don't ever say it when it's the wake of their, their wife or their husband. They know it's not right. They know they weren't made for death. They're made for eternity. Everything on this earth is meant to point you to the Lord, to the peak of Everest, to the depth of the Grand Canyon, to the thundering roar of Niagara Falls, to the sweetest sound of a baby's coo to the darkest of nights, to the most vibrant of rainbows, which belongs to God, to the sweetest of fruits, to the most savory of meats, the beast feast. It's all meant to stir in us not a longing for them, but a longing for the one who made them. 
when you go to the national parks, or you see this beautiful range of mountains right here upon us, or you go to the Kenai and see this glacier-clear river flowing with power and might, with, with salmon perpetually following a, 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 cord, a, a, a stream and a path that's been put into them at the very beginning to go and to create new, new waves of life. When you see all of it, you need to be moved less by the romance in them and more by the reality behind them. They all point to God. In all of His glory and power and might, they all point to Him. So be satisfied in the Creator of them. The mighty river that you see, that's not the reason it stirs the awe in you. Because you're just like, man, I like water that flows fast. That's not what's doing it. What's stirring you when you see the might of that river or that waterfall and the power behind it, it's not that which stirs you. It's the reality behind it that stirs you. That there is a river of living water that flows from eternity in Christ Jesus. And that's what you were made for. You were made to know the power of that river and the glory and might of the one who created it in you personally and intimately. The hunger and thirst of your life cannot be satisfied by anything in this world, which is the constant beckoning of God to remember that you were made for him. You were made for eternity. But woe to you who have been satisfied with the stuff of this world. For one day, this world, these hewn cisterns, these idols, these things which you have made God and self-satisfaction, one day they will be taken away. And the one thing that you didn't want will be left. The triune God of heaven. And he will send you with the stuff that you wanted to destruction. My friends, we often condemn God because of the realities of hell. How wicked are we to do so? Because hell is simply giving men precisely what they wanted. To not delight in Him. And for all eternity, that's exactly what they will get. The delight in the things that bring destruction while being separated from that which gives satisfaction. So what are we to do with this? Here's our closing thoughts. What are we to do with these statements? First, come, eat, and be satisfied forever. I want you to hear the full context of that passage in Isaiah 55 now. It's an invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters and he who has no money. Come, buy and eat. Notice that for a second. Who's allowed to come? Those who are thirsty and those who are poor. Sound like we've been talking about something, right? Those who are poor, those who are hungry. These are the ones who are invited to come. Who know they've got nothing of themselves and in themselves. Come, buy wine that which is symbolic of joy and satisfaction and milk. 
provision, sustenance. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why? It's free. This is a free gift to you in Christ today. There ain't nothing you can do to buy this or earn this. It is freely offered to the heart that will come and drink and eat in the feast of Christ. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight in yourselves rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. The only way for you to live, the only way for you to be satisfied in this world is to come and feast upon Christ. For Jesus would say this in John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's the invitation to you today. Are you tired of feeling empty? Are you tired of feeling inadequate? Are you tired of feeling like it's never enough? Are you tired of feeling not satisfied? Are you tired in general? Come and eat. Come and feast in Christ. Because with Him there are pleasures forevermore. With with Him there is satisfaction beyond all imagination. So blessed are you who are hungry now. Because if you come and eat of what He gives freely to all, come and eat, come and eat, and you shall be satisfied. Secondly, what should we hunger for? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the way Matthew uses the words of Christ here. Matthew 5 verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and they shall be satisfied. What is this? What is this hungering and thirsting for righteousness? It is hungering and thirsting for the manifestation of God who is righteous to be brought about in all the world. Hunger and thirst that Christ would be manifested in you, through you, and everywhere around you. Hunger and thirst that purity and peace and truth and love would prevail in the world around you. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, hear me, is not being a monk who deprives themselves. It isn't, let's go away in the middle of the woods, in solitary confinement, living the hardest, worst possible life we can do. That does not make you holy at all. If anything, it can also make you arrogant and prideful and legalistic to think that your way is the path to holiness as opposed to Christ's way. And Christ says, I didn't take them from the world, but have kept them in it. Why? Why? So that His truth and glory and power and righteousness would be made manifest through you. So hunger for that. Hunger that your life would be marked by grace and mercy and love and radical purity and radical benevolence and radical care and service. Why? Because you hunger and thirst that righteousness would be made manifest in the world around you. 
You want to see Christ made so much of in all of life. Hunger and thirst for it. Hunger and thirst that Jesus would be made known more to the world today because it's starving. People who feast upon the Word of God knowing that man does not live upon bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is why we fast. We fast precisely because we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We fast because we're saying to our heart, you don't need this stuff for satisfaction. So when you fast, feast upon Christ. Fast from stuff every now and then. Make it a a monthly thing, a weekly thing where you fast from a meal, fast for a day. To set your heart upon nothing more than longing for the righteousness of Christ to be made manifest in the world around you and through you. Because the world's hungry. You've been given the bread. So this is our final point. Pour yourself out to the hungry. Pour yourself out for the hungry. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 10 through 11. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. If you pour yourself out for the hungry, God says, I will make you a place for them to feast. I will make you a place to thirst. Why? Because so much of me will be flowing through you. It won't be you that they see. It'll be Christ. Everything we have flows from Him. He's the water. He's the river that flows out of us. That people say, what's different in you? We pour ourselves in the hungry by giving them both care and giving and bread and life. But most importantly, the bread of the Word. We care for those who are physically suffering. But we do so only with the goal of pointing them to the spiritual suffering that they have and the antidote for it, which is Christ Jesus. There's no better example of this care for physical needs in order to get to spiritual truth than when Jesus gave the bread. And I want us to look at this story of John chapter 6, verse 11 through 13, right? Jesus has looked over this crowd has come to listen to Him. And He has compassion because they don't have food. He cares for physical needs. Jesus then took the loaves and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. He continues. And when they had eaten their fill, He told His disciples... Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Jesus 
gives bread out to everyone there. They are filled. This is a physical truth that's pointing to a spiritual reality. Every, all the bread that he gives of himself, that's what he's talking about here, making manifest through this miracle, all the bread that I give will fully satisfy people. They will be filled. But here's the message to his disciples. When you give your life to bread giving service to the Lord, there will always be left over for you. No matter how much you give for the world to be satisfied, when you look to your basket, there will be left over. So when you pour yourself out to the hungry, he will give you exactly what you need. And there will be leftover for you. So when you're satisfied, you can give. You give with all your heart physical and spiritual sustenance. Because you're satisfied. And you know there'll be leftover for you. So I close with a story today. A story found in Scripture that was a real story that stands as a parable for precisely what I'm calling you today to do today, to pour yourself out for the hungry. As Christians, we are beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And here's a story that exemplifies that better. Here's the context. It's in 2 Kings chapter 7. The king of Samaria, or excuse me, the king of Syria has surrounded Samaria and is blockading it from any food or resources getting to it. The city is starving like never before, so much so that they are literally cannibalizing at this point. There is no food, no sustenance. They are dying from hunger. And then we get all of a sudden this little breakaway to four lepers. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? And we're starving to death. We're starving. We are dying. If we say, let us enter the city, the famine's in the city, and we'll just die there. So we just go into the city with no famine. We're still going to die. So what are we going to do? If we sit here, we're going to die. So they recognize their condition. We are poor, hungry lepers. We are going to die. So what are we going to do? Next slide. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp to the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. So here's their their, their decision. Listen, we're going to die if we say we are starving. The only hope we have is by going and surrendering to this king. If we surrender to this king, maybe he'll give us food. Or maybe he'll kill us. But either way, we're going to die. So not like we have anything to go for us other than to surrender to this king. So they go out and they find, though, there's nobody there. What's happened? Next slide. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of the chariots and horses, the sound of a great army. So they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. Next slide. 
So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. So these Syrians or these lepers, these Sumerian lepers, they say, let's surrender to the king. So they surrender to the king. And what do they find out? They found out that God had removed all the enemy. God had already cleared out everything which could bring them destruction. And all that God left for them was everything left over. All the food, all the treasure, it was theirs now. Because they chose to surrender to the king, God had completely removed the enemy. And provided for them both treasure and food for them to be satisfied in. So much so, they start hiding it away. They start hiding away that which has brought them satisfaction. While there's a city behind them dying from starving. But something happens to one of the lepers here. Next slide. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried all things from it and went and hid them. And they said to another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light... Punishment will overtake us. Now therefore let us go and tell the king's household. These Sumerian lepers have realized they have stumbled upon all the treasure and sustenance they could ever need. It's far, excuse me, it's far more than they can ever use for themselves. And there's a city that's dying of hunger behind them. As they're hiding it away, we need this, we might need it for tomorrow, we need to sustain this, something comes over their conscience. We are not doing right. This is a day of good news. God has removed the enemy and He has provided salvation. My friends, that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He has removed the enemy and given us satisfaction, treasure, salvation. And if we sit here as a church and just keep hiding it away, we don't want anyone to know of our little gym here on Hillside. We want to keep our little pure community. We don't want anything to mess it up. Guess what? We will have to face judgment when we stand before the Lord. There is a city dying out there. A city that is hungry and yearning for satisfaction. And God has given it us to us in Jesus. It is a day of good news. And if we do not go and tell them and give them bread and pour ourselves out of the hungry, woe unto us. Woe unto us. We are beggars telling other beggars. Where to find bread. You've been given everything you need in Jesus. He will satisfy your soul forever. But the greatest way to demonstrate your satisfaction is by sharing it with others. So physically and spiritually, pour yourself out for the hungry. The city starving. And Christ has given you all you need. Come, eat, 
be satisfied. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And go give bread to a hungry world. All because of Christ and Him alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for giving us Jesus. We thank you so much for satisfying our soul. We thank you so much for surrendering us to the reality that we were lost and dying with no hope. Yet you called us to leave our place of death and to go and surrender. And there we were met with salvation and treasure and thanksgiving. God, protect us from hiding that. Protect us from being those who simply stole away that which, can, which is far more for us to keep. Let us go and give it to a dying and starving world. Lord, you are so good, so satisfying. And God, I pray if there's someone today who is so yearning and longing and wondering why their soul cannot be satisfied, let them see it's because they have yet to partake of Christ. And Lord, let them hear the words of you in Isaiah 55 to come and eat. To come and feast upon him. To be satisfied in pleasures forevermore. Oh God, give us a a holy hunger for righteousness. That you would be made manifest in the world around us. And let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh God, we yearn for you. We hunger for you. We love Jesus. Let us, every soul, leave here today fully satisfied in Christ. Emboldened and encouraged to go pour themselves out to the hungry. Knowing that no matter how many times they reach into the basket to give to others you will make sure there is always left over for them. Oh Lord, let us be satisfied in Christ and nothing else. Let us savor everything else in this world sweeter only because we recognize it is to you that it points. Lord, let us glorify you in our delights, our satisfaction. Let us enjoy the things you've given us more because we know that they are all from you. Blessed are the hungry, for they shall be satisfied. We rest on that promise. We say all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.